Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast for Youth in Policy. I'm your main host, Alex Smith, and today I'm joined by Nan Lei of the Asian Youth Act. The Asian Youth Act seeks to promote the political and civic engagement of Asian youth through informative, research-centered projects and personal narratives. It is a nonpartisan organization constructed to be an open-minded space where youth seek empathy, understanding, and collaboration. The team empowers Asian youth students from all over the world to not only be proactive and informed world citizens, but to inspire change in all generations of the Asian community by providing conversation starting resources. In addition, Asian Youth Act hopes to spark important conversations regarding these issues within friends, family, friends, family, community, and oneself. Nan Lei is the founder and executive director of Asian Youth Act. As an intersectional activist, she focuses on racial justice, feminism, mental health, and climate advocacy. Due to her various experiences throughout her childhood and curiosity about the world around her, Lei began to clearly see racial discrimination and a lack of empathy in many communities. Thus, she began a new journey in meeting people of color and listening to their stories, which subsequently led to the creation of the Asian Youth Act. In her free time, she loves to perform and does ep epidemiological research in her spare time. I hope I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> little, a little bit of a, a little bit of struggle for me right off the bat that usually doesn't happen. Not only how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you on. I'm also joined here today by my co-host, Marielle DeVoe. So to get started, was there any one specific event that kind of inspired the founding of AYA? So generally for me, as a younger youth activist, a big part that really sparked a lot of change was the discussion of Black Lives Matter, especially in my household. So as we know, especially during April and May of 2020, there had started to have, give me a second, there was quite a bit of discussion on everything that had been happening and more of these incidents started appearing on the news and of course subsequently more people would be talking about it. Thus, of course, this conversation also led to conversation in my own household which had previously not been discussed frequently, especially since from especially an Asian household, typically we like to keep to ourselves or that's what, you know, the society says. A lot of groupthink kinds of communities, especially one like a lot of Asian communities, we don't typically talk a lot about race. And with my parents bringing up the conversation of what had been happening outside, I thought that this would also be a great time for me to look into my own background and Asian issues that do exist as well. That's really awesome. Um, so one of the groups and websites you have listed on your Take Action page of the website, the 8020 Initiative, is just one of the groups you have listed um, to help Asian American interests in the US. But what are other ways as individual citizens we can help support Asian American interests and advocate for more representation? A big part comes with conversation within your own social bubbles. And this is something that Asian Youth Act strongly advocates for because as we know, there is no cookie cutter solution for every community because there is so much different parts and issues and what creates a community for us. Being sure that you are active in these discussions, that you are looking to educate yourself. And yes, although it is good to reach out sometimes and check on your Asian peers, 
recognize that asking them, oh, what should I be looking for? Or what are some resources I can use? Yes, they can help you, but they should not be the ones doing the work for you. And for us, it's a big part to make it clear that you need to be part of the conversation and take initiative on your own as well to learn more. Sounds good. So, you know, unfortunately in America, uh, we still get very uncomfortable with the idea that certain groups uh, benefit from systems that harm others. Um, this often plays out in our education system as well, where we're discouraged from discussing politics, except for in like very limited settings or in certain classrooms only. Um, and, you know, there's debates on one side where people say, um, you know, you, you have this group getting uh, bonuses or, or um, support only from the government. And then other groups are saying, okay, well, in this setting, in the education setting, or in the economic setting, um, this other group is getting representation. So there's kind of a, a back and forth on both sides. Um, how do you think we need to change both culturally and educationally in order to combat social injustices? I think a big misconception that really divides us is the fact that to balance out the playing field, if I may say so myself, it is to really understand that you aren't losing what you think you are losing. It's more so, especially in terms of power play in society, it feels like when one group is coming up to what we would consider to be equality, it feels like some power may be taken away from you. And it is this concept of limited power for everyone, right? That only one group can have a lot of power or it will never, there will never be enough for everyone. And this is simply not true. And to some extent, it's important to recognize that society, in our society, it is necessary to understand that there isn't quite a limit to the amount of power we have culturally but also, with that being said, if you feel threatened by these movements looking for justice and looking for equality, then you should also be checking yourself and seeing what is my privilege like? What kind of power do I have that I do not know about? And what do other groups not have? Or what do they have? Right. And, and one big argument, um, especially surrounding the education department is the arguments revolving around affirmative action. Um, affirmative action was really big uh, in California lately, especially with the, I believe it was called the 209 Act, um, you know, that said, okay, well, schools can discriminate based on um, race in order to determine, you know, more equal amounts of, of racial groups in their schools. And this was an especially heavy topic seen um, not only with uh, white people, but also with um, Asians. Right, because a lot of Asian people were saying, okay, well, affirmative action is going to discriminate against our group because um, we test higher or something or, or things like that. Um, what are your opinions on affirmative action? Affirmative action comes with its pros and cons, right? And I will take a more neutral stance just generally because I do tend to take that. But that being said, affirmative action is. In some ways, it is seen as a way to diversify, and I believe that its intent 
is good, but when it's actually played out and its impacts personally, I believe that it is not as diverse and it is unfair to some extent because of the process of how they select students. Right. Okay, and just one more question before I hand it back off to uh, Marielle. Um, how have Asian Americans used civic engagement in order to improve their lives? Definitely. So the Asian American community has often been silenced or rather hasn't been amplified much. Generally, we think of our society very much black and white and, you know, Asians don't fit either of those categories. So with civic engagement, it brings the topic of our community has a voice. And when people see more Asian voters and people who are actually partaking in, you know, societal roles, and especially in what will determine what happens in our communities, for example, that is a surefire way to see that Asians are in our communities and they are making a difference and we exist. So that leads really well into my next question, actually. So Andrew Yang was the first Asian American presidential candidate we've ever had. And he brought attention to Asian American voters who are really ignored often in a lot of political campaigns and discussions. In your opinion, how did his candidacy affect the political, political landscape? And do you think that it brought more attention to Asian American voters and the issues that they care about and the issues that impact them? I think that especially with Andrew Yang as a candidate, a lot of youth in particular were interested in politics. They became more engaged, mainly because they saw themselves. And I cannot stress enough the importance of representation of people who look like you in positions such as government positions, right? So with that being said, it definitely drew a lot more interest and engagement, especially with having Andrew Yang as one of the candidates. But what I will say is that Typically, in a lot of previous elections, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders specifically often aren't targeted, and that's largely due to poor systems created, you know, against people of color that disproportionately affect people of color. And that also meant that not a lot of Asians were previously civically engaged either. But with more systems that are starting to be reformed, people creating solutions with the fact that there are more people in media who are in these political positions, it definitely helped a lot. That's great to know. So kind of going on with this um, theme of representation, who was the first Asian or Asian American actor or media personality that you remember seeing on TV or in movies? So for me, it was Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy. And I remember very distinctly that, wow, it's, it's an Asian on screen. And I think that is kind of an interesting statement to make. Um, and there is that large stereotype that Asians are going to either only be doctors um, or something of the sort, they're gonna go into STEM, but with that being said, especially in media, there aren't that many Asians who aren't stereotyped. So that being said, just seeing Asians at all, you know, was a big step for me. It was like, huh, 
I could become an actress if I felt like I wanted to become one because Grey's Anatomy was huge. And to see someone who looked kind of like me, it paved a pathway down that I saw could actually become a true pathway, career pathway. Yeah, so that just leads right into my next question. This is great. <laughs> so mainstream media is often criticized for its lack of or really trivialized portrayal of Asian Americans. Uh, like you said, it's like always like, okay, STEM fields, very narrow set idea. How do you think that's affected kind of our societal view of the issues that Asian American voters care about and what is going to matter to them? That makes sense? <laughs> that is a tad bit of a stretch, I would say, in terms of connecting it. But with that being said, it is something that I will say does affect our community. For me, I can clearly see that media is honestly a reflection of what our society sees. And if we see Asians who are generally apolitical, they don't really care much for you know, politics. They're mainly worried about STEM, having a good job, you know, really fitting that model minority myth, then it's going to be internalized. And I saw this in myself before I learned what the model minority myth is. And a lot of people do, a lot of Asians do especially. And if you see that on screen, you can also feel like, oh, this is probably how I'm going to end up as well, which sounds trivial. Um, so you mentioned the uh, model minority myth. Um, how do you uh, exactly define the model minority myth? Because it seems that um, kind of different people define it in different ways. Could you just, as, as well as for the listeners, just give a definition for it? So the model minority myth is essentially a system that states that, well, in this case, a minority, in this case is Asian, are able to succeed and they're able to prosper in a community despite being a person of color or a people of color. And with that being said, of course, the model minority myth sounds pretty, you know, it's like, wow, it's great that they're being successful but unfortunately that is also a great way to pit Asians against other people of color and other minority groups which unfortunately we can see a lot of today on right and it also sets a lot of standards and boxes Asians into this persona or cookie cutter of what they deem to be successful and hardworking, law-abiding, and quiet. Not really the advocate or the activist, but rather someone who takes a seat back and is just a model. Right. So um, how has the model minority myth played a role in your own life? As for me, I would say that the model minority myth has affected how I view myself and also the people around me. So a big part of growing up is, for me, battling with the stereotype because I have always wanted to become an activist. I worked towards becoming an 
advocate, especially um, in a lot of policy making recently. But for me, when you grow up in a community that is drenched in a way that is really encapsulated by this model minority myth that is intergenerational because not a lot of people know about it, then it becomes second nature. It makes you feel like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. I am supposed to fit these standards. This is what I care about. This is all I need. And rather than creating my own path, I felt like I had to fit this persona of myself, which would inevitably also create chaos, really, <laughs> internalized chaos, because I would not know how to act, honestly, whether to be myself or to be a more toned down, only focused on STEM. And I love STEM work, I'm not going to lie, I do it in my free time, quite literally, but you know, being pressured into that is not something that I would have liked to experience. And I think a lot of students, especially who are Asian, have felt that pressure. Right. Um, and just one more question before I again pass it off to Marielle. Um, what do you think about, so giving out just a little bit of a basis for the, for the listeners um, too. There was that big thing on, I think, Twitter where somebody posted a prom dress and somebody responded, you know, my culture is not your prom dress. And it started this huge discussion about um, integration of different cultures into the kind of American melting pot and how America's culture kind of shifts around and takes things from um, other groups and, and forms its own thing. And of course, other countries have done that. Um, Canada has done that. The UK has kind of done that in a way with their, um, the, the country's favorite food has recently changed from fish and chips to curry, you know, and that was a big surprise. Um, how do you feel about kind of as more uh, people are immigrating from Asia to America? Uh, how do you feel about Americans taking part in Asian culture? So this comes down to the true debate of cultural appropriation versus appreciation, right? And to be honest, appreciating one's culture is what we all want. I have no problem with people partaking in Asian culture as long as they respect it and aren't cherry picking what they like and don't like. So for example, one big thing that you will commonly see is uh, the Qingdao dress that is used, especially in fashion. There is this big debate on, is this cultural appropriation if someone wears it to a dance, for example. And there's a difference between wearing it because there's a difference between wearing it and in a sense being contradictory with your own viewpoints on other parts of the culture. So a big part with cultural appropriation is you don't appreciate it on the culture sometimes, but you appreciate it more on other people who are not necessarily from that racial group. Right, okay. Um, Mary, you wanna take it from here? Yeah, so you going off this um, discussion of cultural appropriation versus appreciation, I know here on the West Coast, um, there's a lot of parts of Asian culture that have become really big, really 
trendy, quote unquote, so to speak here, um, like boba tea, um, anime, a lot of Asian food on the West Coast. Do you think that we need to, along with appreciating those parts of the culture, do you think it's also important that we as people who are trying to be good allies also take the time to learn about the other parts of the culture that a lot of the time we tend to ignore because we don't like, because they're different, because they're uncomfortable? Because wouldn't that be kind of necessary in order to truly appreciate the culture, not just cherry pick, like you said, the parts we like and the parts that are cool and trendy and cute? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think this is true for everyone. And it can be hard to see when you don't know what exactly you're cherry picking. So it is truly important to take the time to learn about other people's cultures. And if you indulge yourself in any of these, which is honestly just an excuse, but you know, if you indulge yourself in any of these parts of other cultures, I believe that it really is necessary to respect other people, although that should be the baseline, even without these other cultural aspects. But that being said, it should be, give people a reason to start learning more. That's awesome. And I just have one more question, kind of looping back to a little bit of what you said at the beginning and talking about like the internalization of the model minority myth. Do you see kind of a difference maybe generationally between like you and your parents in how you've internalized that and how like you're trying to change that, how you view yourself versus how older generations see themselves? Absolutely. Now, this will go into intergenerational trauma as well. And this is when essentially, let's say for example, my parents have experienced something and they somewhat pass it on their experiences, kind of their trauma towards me. And I would say that these differences are even visible within my family, as in myself, and then my older siblings, and my parents. So my siblings have a 10-year gap with me, so that's around a decade. And even then, I think the openness of our communities, how society has treated Asian culture, and also breaking down the model minority myth more in school. I know my school in particular has a anti-racism class that we are required to take. And having those implemented can show you a lot about other people who you probably have never really thought a lot about. So even having those new implementations shows you how much of a gap and a difference there is. Thank you. I'll pass it back to Alexander. Right. So um, as we talk about, you know, cultural changes between the generations and things like that, um, we're starting to see some popular Asian influencers who are taking a more um, kind of conservative stance in a lot of ways. Uh, people like Vince Dow. Vince Dow is one of the you know, more popular Gen Z influencers, and he's super conservative. Um, very pro-Trump um, and he, he has, I think, 80,000 followers on Instagram alone. Um, do you think that maybe as people 
um, move from Asia to America and as they have kids and then grandkids and those kids get more immersed in Asian, uh, uh, get more immersed in American culture and less immersed in Asian culture, um, we may see a bigger, um, not divide, but growth um, on the right and uh, shrinking almost on the left. Absolutely. I would say that, especially in a lot of households that have maybe first generation immigrant parents and second generation or third generation children, you can see this divide very clearly or what we like to coin like the 1.5 generation as well. We can see a lot of political divide within their parents and the kids and this is because of the exposure of usually what they grow up with, their environment, how people perceive different topics. Especially in Asia, there are a lot of topics that are talked about in the United States, for example, that are incredibly taboo to talk about. It is not regarded. It is not even, not even a second thought about it. So having an open talk, especially if a child is identified, if they have a child that identifies as a liberal, for example, there is a lot of tension if you talk about politics within the household. And that's why there is a lot of apoliticism in the community as well, because there is a lot of tension that just does not want to be addressed. But that being said, because of that tension, there are a lot of times when the parents will influence the child enough to say, oh, this is propaganda, you know, what is happening? You need to take a step back and kind of see from their point more. And of course, with the environment, depending on who you seem to trust more, what kind of perspective you personally value more, there are a lot of kids who do tend to turn conservative as well or are already conservative because they grew up with more conservative beliefs. Right and just one more question before we wrap it up. Um, do you think that it's important not just for uh, children of Asian immigrants but just children of um, immigrants in general to cling on to their um, cultural heritage and to what extent should they hold on to that heritage? I think that this is a loaded question, but <laughs> that being said, heritage is something that should be remembered and it should not necessarily be practiced if they deem it to not be ethical per se, or if they believe that it is not right. And for me, I would say that learning about all of those aspects is necessary and at least attempting to learn about yourself is a key way of understanding yourself and what your community goes through and being empathetic with other people starts with understanding yourself you cannot simply try to understand other people if you can't even understand yourself right so with that being said especially for children who are immigrants, including myself, it is necessary to hold on to these her to your heritage and your traditions with the exception of 
some of them if you deem them to not be right. Okay, that's all the questions we have for today. Um, thank you again for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, again, this has been the podcast for Institute of Youth and Policy. Um, go ahead and check out the uh, Asian Youth Acts links down below, um, including links to their social medias um, and such. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having thank me. See you later. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to continue to support us, you can do so by checking out our Instagram pages at YIP Institute and at Watch Verbum. You can also look at our website at www.yipinstitute.com. Make sure to follow our page as we upload multiple videos weekly. Have a good day.